I'm Mark Walsh, and coming up on today's show... In higher ed, it's called the great unbundling. So this idea of taking a four-year degree and, and breaking it apart, that has been going on. That started as a trend within the five, 10 years ago, and it's really starting to speed up. Welcome to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast. It's What's Working in Washington. I'm your host, Mark Walsh, along with our producer, Tracy Madigan. And today, we're excited to welcome Wayne Bovier. Wayne is the co-founder and CEO of Higher Digital. They're a consulting firm focused on higher education, which means colleges, universities, and the like. Hey, and guess what? I doubt this is a shocker to you, but that industry, and it is an industry, is undergoing unbelievable change and has a whole lot of stress on it. What is the stress on? It's cost structure. Yes, rate cards are going higher. It costs a lot to send your kid to college these days. The cost structure of what does a degree mean? Do you need a bachelor's degree to have a productive career in life? A cost structure of other opportunities, both online colleges or online certifications that can help your career. These are all arrows aimed at the heart of what it used to mean to apply to a college, spend four years and get a degree. Wayne and his colleagues are helping colleges figure out how to manage that change. And guess what? It ain't easy. So here's our conversation. Hi, Mark. It's great to be here. Thank you. So, Wayne, you started about six and a half or seven years ago. Tell our listeners the aha moment that made you and your colleagues say there's an opportunity here for a consulting firm with clients like colleges and universities. We The aha moment really came about in my last uh, tenure uh, at, at Loria. And, um, you know, just providing a little bit of background, uh, I had uh, I have about 10, 15 years of experience in higher education um, with Blackboard, Elucian uh, and then Laureate. And it's, you know, higher digital is really a culmination of all three of those companies. And specifically what I saw is, you know, higher institutions really struggling, embracing um, not only new software, um, but really changing and, and replacing old uh, antiquated software. And it, it, and this is obviously before COVID. And so as things started to speed up in terms of technology and innovation, higher ed- education institutions, regardless of size, are really struggling absorbing this technology and in turn providing the experience that students, faculty, and staff really expect. And so you know, the only alternative in the, in the marketplace today is to hire a big consulting company to kind of come in and throw a lot of bodies at you. Um, and for those that have uh, practiced software for a long time, um, throwing more bodies at it doesn't doesn't translate into speeding things up. It actually it translates into slowing things down, becoming more bureaucratic, uh, increases the risk and so on. And so um, really taking a step back, being a software guy, uh, there had to be a better there, there has to be a better way. There has to be a better way for higher ed- education institutions to change and to absorb this technology and capabilities. Well, Mark Andreessen, our old buddy, once famously said that software would eat the world. And I think in some ways, though, although it's a shocking way to phrase it, it certainly seems to be confronting a lot of elements of our society that way, particularly, I would argue, not-for-profits in higher education, even K through 12 to some extent. So it's fascinating. You, you said that these expensive consulting firms that I've had some experience with institutions with that I've involved with that hired the Baines and the McKinsey's of the world, I assume 
you know, I, I won't ask you to diss them, so to speak, but I assume you're referencing that kind of engagement, very high priced, as opposed to your more focused type of teamwork that you would generate with one of your clients. Am I right? Yeah, that, that, that's exactly right. You know, we have really kind of two parts of our business. We have a, you know, traditional expertise consulting uh, part of our business, and then a, you know, we're part of a, and a software part of our business. And the software part is really the innovative area. And we, and today we offer up a lot of our capabilities via software through, um, through a services engagement. And, and, and simply put, if you, if you look at these big box consulting, um, they for for decades they have not changed how they approach change management. Um, they they'll take a lot of time, right? Six to twelve months. They'll come in. Everything is generally manual. They'll do interviews. They'll write they'll write up a report, and they'll and then they'll deliver it to you. Again, all extremely manual. Um, maybe you know maybe that report confirms about ninety to ninety eight percent of what you know. So it's not. illustrative of things that you don't know. The the real challenge that we see, um, not only in in that taking too much time, but then the second step is once you get the report, how do you operationalize it? How do you execute on that, right? And so that is really where we kind of come in. And that's the software approach where we really speed up this, this ability to assess a complicated enterprise like a higher education institution, regardless of institution size, everyone's complicated organizationally. Um, but we're able to, in a matter of a, a, a matter of days and weeks, do a full diagnostic assessment of an institution. We can benchmark them uh, and analyze them. And then the next stage of what we do is really help them prioritize across the enterprise. Uh, again, by taking a software approach, we can really speed that up. And simply put, this is really where higher ed institutions need to, um, they need to get faster at change um, because more people uh, in the world need more education, they need more training. Maybe not the the four-year bachelor degree that you and I were used to as we were growing up. In higher ed, it's called the great unbundling. So this idea of taking a a four-year degree and, and breaking it apart. Um, that has been going on. That, that, that started as a trend, um, I would say, you know, within the five, ten years ago, and it's really starting to speed up. Um, so there's lots of lots of impact that's happening. So we'll return to that great unbundling phrase, because I think that is, as you suggest, sort of the grenade whose pin has been quietly pulled. And I have a bunch of specific questions, but I noticed on your website, and once again, we're, we're speaking with Wayne Bovier, Wayne Bovier um, the co-founder and CEO of Higher Digital, and I'm Mark Walsh, your host here on What's Working in Washington with our producer, Tracy Madigan. So as you mentioned, as one of your services is ERP. So I used to know that term back in the day as sort of an industrial software term to run a factory or a major manufacturing corporation or some of their large for-profit corporation typically publicly traded. I never really thought of those three letters as being applied to a college. Tell our listeners what it means and how you deploy that with your customers. Yeah, that's a great question. So an ERP, Enterprise Resource Planning, right? It was a, a phrase that I'll, I'll, I'll attribute it to Gartner, but it may be maybe one of those guys back in the late 80s, you know, late, late 70s, 80s, uh, classified a grouping of software. And, and the grouping for higher education, the ERP stands for, it's really the heartbeat of uh, and the brains of, uh, of every higher ed institution. Um, specifically, it has the student information system, um, which uh, uh, has the rules of what courses you can take, the prerequisites, co-requisites, 
all the rules associated with that. It's also the database of record um, for your grades, right? So there's the student information system. There is a HR, human resources, that is usually part of, of uh, an ERP for higher ed. And then you have finance, right? So your traditional HR and finance plus, in the case of higher education, your student information system, um, really kind of being bundled uh, bundled together. And so one, one of the reasons for us, ERP is a, a really a great segue, uh, an entry point into this uh, advanced way of doing change management is it's high risk, it's high risk, high dollars. Um, to the tune of, you know, Gartner and McKinsey both estimating that these big IT ERP investments fail at a 70 to 75% clip. Um, with failure, by the way, being, failure being broadly defined, like not with not that we just didn't deploy the ERP. Uh, it took us twice as long. It took us twice as much money. We didn't get the adoption that we're using right. And most of this in today's world, um, the software works. The ERPs have been around for 30, 40 years, um, and they work. Um, and, you know, it's not like it was even 20 years ago. We ran into a lot of a lot of bugs and systems. It's it, so if the technology works, what is what what's attributed to the failure? Well, most of it has to do with organization, the operations, the culture. How do you communicate? Who's in charge? All this kind of stuff. Okay, if if I may, the the C word. So let's drill down on that because, as we mentioned in our chat before we started once again with our guest Wayne Bovier, uh, he's the co-founder and CEO of Higher Digital. I have spilled a lot of blood and mud in higher ed. Most recently, a, a long term as a long term trustee at my alma mater, and culture. Once again, Mark Andreessen quoting famously said that culture eats strategy for breakfast. I, I'm quoting Mark Andreessen way too much, but this idea of adoption by a traditionally sort of locked in community called the faculty, what have you, uh, see, I've seen the roadblocks for adoption specifically by the faculty or. Does it happen all over the campus in your experience? It, well, it, it, it happens all over the campus. And culture, just so, you, just so our audience listen, listening in understands, you know, culture for any enterprise is a very complicated, thorny issue. Um, for us, at, at, for Higher Digital, we assess higher education institutions on how much their culture can handle change. How can, you know, because even one ERP project which is a big project for a higher ed institution, um, may, may suck out all the oxygen in the room. Um, so faculty, um, you know, it's interesting. I, I wrote an article about five years ago that really kind of took to task IT departments and, uh, and, and software companies. Um, you know, I have a soft place in my heart for faculty. You know, there's been a promise back since, the, I'll put it since the late 90s, Blackboard being being kind of the stake in the ground with the, with the learning management systems. Um, hey, you know, faculty, if you buy our LMS, we're going to help you. We're going to save time for your job. The reality is, you know, that plus all these other technologies have actually increased the workload and complexity for faculty. In addition to that, they still have to do their job pre the technology, right? So, so faculty in general, um, there's just been a strong resistance from them uh, rationally because they've just been inundated. They haven't been prioritized as a group to you know, make it easy to use software, right? So, but 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 when it comes to truly changing, right? Now they're going to go back to the unbundling. There is true resistance. There's true resistance in the faculty, right? There's a lot of a lot of fear, uncertainty, and doubt about what this means to them. 
uh, let alone the fact that AI is coming, right? Like there's just more and more technology that's happening, which is, again, why hire digital focus on what we're doing, which is really helping complicated enterprises like higher education institutions change faster, better, quicker than they have in the past. Well, of course, I'm going to quote somebody other than Mark Andreessen here, but also named Mark, and that's Mark Twain. He famously once said, I'm all for progress. It's just the change I can't stand. And I think that's what we're, that's what we're seeing, and you're doing it every day. But my experience, and swapping stories about this, is that change is often a four-letter word for a significant portion, in my experience, of the academy, particularly at the faculty level. And I'll finish with this comment before we break for our, our, our guest. They've been promised a lot. I think you're exactly right on that. As you see it, and as you said it, they've been promised a lot of stuff. Uh, when the founders of Blackboard approached me to be an investor, I said, well, you're going to be the ERP of, of .edu. And I said that not necessarily as a compliment, by the way, uh, that you and your colleagues saw that sometimes it's very tough to get those kinds of things implemented. Once again, we're with ba- Wayne Bovier. He's the co-founder and CEO of Higher Digital. He and I are talking about the current and future of, of higher education, both domestically and around the world. We'll be back with our conversation after this. What's Working in Washington, we talk to power players about innovation in the federal government and how business in the region is keeping us competitive. If you are a D.C. insider and want to know what leaders in other industries are talking about, we give you that insight. So thanks for listening. If you know someone we should be talking to on our show, let us know. We want perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. You can reach out through our website or through Twitter. And we love bringing those new voices to our audience. We look forward to hearing from you. It's What's Working in Washington. I'm your host, Mark Walsh, again with our producer, Tracy Madigan. And once again, we're here with our guest, Wayne Bovier. Wayne is the co-founder and CEO of Higher Digital, a consulting and implementation firm focused on higher education. So the college or university that you went to, and, and maybe you want your kids to go to, uh, Wayne's company is, is, is focused on that. Wayne, it's great to have you with us. So our conversation has clearly addressed some of the challenges that higher education faces from their own internal organization and internal legacy and culture and stuff like that, that you and your colleagues walk them through, both on the implementation of complex software like ERP, enterprise resource planning, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But you mentioned earlier in our talk about the great unbundling. And that is, I think, about, in my mind, issue A, which is what does it mean to get a bachelor's degree over four years today versus what will it mean in the future? And I'll pose my question as a short example. My, the president of my alma mater and I were discussing this issue recently, and I told him about how that I was an investor in an education venture fund And one of the companies we're in was issuing certificates as opposed to degrees uh, for two-year institutions specifically. And this individual said that the number of certificates issued uh, had finally surpassed the number of associate's degrees issued by those two-year institutions. This happened about two and a half or year and a half or two years ago. 
And they said that the lines of that graph had crossed, which was a very important day in the future of higher education. So I asked our president of my alma mater, you know, have you considered offering certificates at our alma mater? And he said, I'm quoting now, I can't imagine a worse word to bring up in the faculty senate meeting than that word, unquote. So this idea of unbundling, of breaking out what a degree means over four to four years or whatever, uh, and offering uh, certificates, it's kind of lingo for, for a change that you must be seeing a lot of pushback from and a challenge to you and your teammates every single day. Every day, everywhere, um, you, know, you know, primarily our business is in the United States and the United Kingdom. Um, and we're seeing we're seeing this uh, across the globe. And this is I mean, this really is the lightning rod for the real issue across all, the change necessary in uh, in all higher education. You know, interestingly enough, for our listeners, you and I are all both of our alma maters were kind of competitive uh, and, you know, in football and sports and stuff. And they have the same same liberal arts kind of background profile. And, you know, it's it. it it's interesting because the space for our alma mater is going to, there's always going to be space for your traditional four years. The, the issue really is this isn't the 1980s where the world is okay with 20%, 15% of the population have a college degree, right? Um, it, or training, right? In, in today's world, and you can attribute a lot of kind of the government social type of unrest um, when you get the, 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 the rural and city divide, right? And, and, when you, and specifically, when you get into the rural areas, ones that have had traditionally manufacturing, I grew up in, in, in central Pennsylvania, um, and it's really in many ways on the front line of a lot of this, a lot of this change is that, you know, due to automation, Right. A lot of these individuals that didn't, you know, that 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 did not get go to college, they end up um, getting displaced. And so they don't really have access and affordable access uh, uh, to get retrained. Um, And that's really the the, the challenge. So, you know, our our alma mater, other other institutions are really starting to recognize that, you know, the, the population of uh, the working population is going to need way more education, way more training in the future um, than they are now. And I think this is where, you know, it, it's a huge opportunity um, for somebody. I mean, you get uh, great examples of Microsoft and Google. They, they don't they, they've, they've had to stand up their own uh, their own training. Um, and recruiting to bring in the developers they need. They couldn't rely on, on higher ed is, institutions to supply them with the developers they need. Is it because they wanted to be an education company? No. It's because they, they, there was a gap in the marketplace and they, they needed the talent. And so they, they went after it through their own, their own uh, education program. So you and I certainly saw every day as a trustees at our alma mater or engaged with our alma mater, that the cost structure of most colleges or universities is, is really one of the challenges. I don't care if they're a state university, a land-grant R1 university, or a liberal arts college in Maine, or, or whatever. The, 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 the truth of it is that the cost structure is pretty fixed. As far as buildings and stuff like that, when it, of course, it's, there's some variability in others, but the buildings and, and the stadiums and the fields and all that and the cafeterias, that, that's fixed. But the variable part is people and faculty and staff. But this idea of American colleges and universities sort of in lockstep, raising their rate card tuition by one and a half to three percent every year, I think that's coming under great duress. What are you seeing with your customers 
And what are you seeing in colleges sort of getting that dash of cold water in their face about their cost structure and their rate card? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great question. And, um, you know, it, 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 it's impacting every every institution. So institutions um, like in Arizona State, right? Um, and they're, they're a client of higher digitals. I would, you know, they're one of the most advanced, innovative institutions out there. You know, they're, 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 they're impacted by cost structure as well, right? And so I don't think that there's a silver bullet per se uh, that's happening. Um, the reality is they have to provide, I mean, the reality is, is it's software, right? This, it kind of comes back to itself is that the efficiencies gained, right? And specifically helping students, right? In, in higher education, you always hear this phrase called student success. It's really about supporting students. It wasn't like when you and I went to school where it was like, look to your right, look to your left, ha, 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 that person's not going to be there with a, with, you know, with, in a bragging tone. Today, that, that has changed dramatically where institutions are really focused on making sure every student is successful and that they don't, they don't drop out. And so the technology is really what's making that efficiency and, and stuff. And by the way, just to correct you, um, the cost of, of higher ed has gone up 5 to 6%. So it's even faster than the rate of, you know, rate cost of living increase, right? So, Oh, believe me, Wayne, I, I know the graphs. The only reason I, I, I think this may be interesting for our listeners, the, the graphs that we paid attention to was both the actual listed rate card of what it costs to go to the college, which has gone up staggeringly quickly over time. And then the discount rate on that rate card, which is the definition of collected cash by the colleges. As you know, I don't want to get in the weeds here, but we, we spent time thinking about what is the actual net cost to the average student across the entire student body. And that's actually lower than what the rate card increased. I'm not defending it. I'm just saying it hasn't gone up as quickly as some would, uh, as, as some would see and, and doesn't, uh, doesn't mean those figures that jump out represent that. But let me ask you uh, in the few minutes we have left about the regulatory and legislative environments surrounding higher education, both in public institutions like we're in, I, I'm in Maryland, so the University of Maryland system, what we're seeing as challenges on that, that front or on the horizon from the regulatory or legislative arena for these institutions. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, so the regulatory side of things um, and accreditation is one of the, one, you know, every institution, uh, you know, uh, it has some type of accreditor, uh, and uh, and it's pretty well known through that that area that they have to change as well, um, you know. And, and that is that is slower moving. Um, it's not as fast moving as uh, as I, I would like to see, um, you know. But but there's a real recognition um, even at a system level, right? Like you brought up with with Maryland, you know, I think that there's a centralization that's going to start to happen, especially at a system level. Like, you know, you think about financial aid, right? Does every institution need to need to uh, spend? Uh, and I and I know the argument uh, within the side of higher ed or, or an institution, but does everybody truly need their own financial aid department? Does everybody need to have their right, or is there a way to share some of these capabilities? Um, right. Well, you know, you know, that is that is Satan's trident for most colleges. I've argued so many times about having shared procurement arenas and all that for the colleges that you and I went to for up to 40 percent of what they buy could be dropped down or could be could be um, uh, uh, vendored out through a procurement program with other higher education s- situations. Forgive me if I, I got in my soapbox, but sharing cost is an incredibly challenging 
yet I think absolutely almost forced to happen event for higher education. It is happening. It's it, it's absolutely happening. You know, there's resistance and pockets of resistance and depending on the system that you're looking at. But, you know, we're working with the, the North Carolina community college system. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, there's politics involved in a, in a, in a lot of. The, I'm shocked. Yeah, shocked, Wayne. Right? And so it's not going as fast as a lot of people would like in terms of that centralization. But but they are moving just as an this is just as an example. Every they have 58 colleges uh, uh, in the state of North Carolina and every every one of them has their own ERP that they're hosting on premise. They are there's across the system. They're now moving into a single uh, single version, a shared version. So it's happening, um, just not as happening as fast as some of us would like to see. Wayne, we only have a few minutes left and it's a bit of a lightning round. And I apologize. But once again, we're talking with Wayne Bovier. He is the co-founder and CEO of Higher Digital. And as you probably noticed in the last few minutes together, I love talking about this stuff because Wayne is swimming in it, and I like to swim in it and have swum in it. I think it's an incredibly important part of our national strength going forward. And Wayne, obviously, you and your colleagues see it as a as a global uh, marketplace and a, and a global change arena because uh, uh, that's what you guys uh, generate some of your revenue from. But we ask all of our guests here on what's working in Washington. If you ruled the world, literally ruled the world, and were in charge of everything, is there one thing you would start happening that isn't, or one thing that you would start happening that currently? Uh, that, that that currently is, or or both. Well, I, I'd love to just pick up where we left off, right? Like, I, look, I, I, it doesn't matter. It shouldn't matter where you live, um, as long as you. Uh, it doesn't matter where you live to be able to get a degree in training that you can afford, right? And and we're moving there. We're just not moving as fast, right? So broadband access, uh, you know, just like we did back in the you know, the, the early 1900s about, you know, the rural national telephone co-op, right? Like we need to do a similar thing, which we're kind of moving into that direction where there's broadband access, regardless of how remote that you live uh, in, in places and being able to get an affordable uh, access to affordable degree or training to be able to get the job. The jobs of the future are going to require more technical capabilities, and so getting access to affordable, you know, I think that's going to solve a lot of our problems, especially this, again, going back to kind of that rural and urban divide that we're starting to see around the world, right? And from a political landscape, I think, you know, the, the rural feel, the, the attitude is that the, the time has passed us over, right? Like we don't have the access, we, we don't have the, right? And, and I think that's, um, you know, uh, that's something that needs to be addressed, that, you know, you can work anywhere uh, in many, many uh, companies, especially post-COVID. It doesn't matter where you live to be able to do your job. Wayne, I completely agree with your assessment. I think we should nominate you to be king of the world for a period of time to make that happen. We've been talking with Wayne Bovier. He's the co-founder and CEO of Higher Digital. Wayne, thanks for being on What's Working in Washington. Mark and Tracy, thank you so much for having me on. It's been a real pleasure. The team behind What's Working in Washington is a great group. The executive producer and editor is Tracy Madigan. Online content, Anna DeGraff. And that theme music you enjoy, performed by the Sunbathers. You've been listening to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast.